0: Hello and welcome to The Writer's Story. I'm Kristen.
1: And I'm Meredith. And it is November. I can't believe we're halfway through November, practically. It's just been speeding by. Um, I guess we've all been completely riveted by the news <laughs> which is, um, and the election, which has um, been sort of unfolding in slow motion, I guess, is what you
0: would say. It also feels like it's been... A year in a week (laughs) Um, but okay Meredith people have been wanting to know how's the kitchen coming
1: well uh, we have made progress and I think that's the best we can say (laughs) we have a ceiling we have cabinets installed we have been painted and we've been measured for our counters And I have a fridge ordered, and I have tile ordered, and now we wait. <laughs> so <laughs> i told two weeks before we have counters, and until we have counters, we can't do anything else. I don't know. Someone else can explain the order of things to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I suspect the order of things varies from project to project. So. Um, good on you for making progress at all in the midst of these crazy, crazy days, and how exciting to have a sense of where it might all be going as we come upon this traditionally big cooking day.
1: Uh, yes, Thanksgiving. And normally, normally on Thanksgiving, um, I am a child, is my role nice, and I show up at my mother's with like. Wine and hors d'oeuvres or something, or possibly a side dish if she lets me. Never dessert. Um, We're going to be getting together at an outdoor picnic shelter to celebrate their birthdays.
0: That sounds awesome. And tell me, have you been able to do any kind of writing-related stuff? What's the latest for you in writing world?
1: I would say pretty much an emphatic no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is totally understandable.
1: Um. I have been journaling my anxiety. <laughs> and every time I go to the page, and I don't know, I mean, probably our listeners are dealing with similar issues. I know there's definitely people out there who are saying, I'm doing NaNoWriMo, yeah da, 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 da. But I think a lot of people right now, it feels like when I go to the page, I just say to myself, I'm not sure if I can care about this today. I don't know if I can get my headspace yeah. there.
0: Yeah. Well, good of you to be doing some journaling.
1: Yeah, doing a lot of walking. (laughs) Oh,
0: walking is always good.
1: Yeah. How about you? Are you getting anything done? I know you have multiple projects.
0: Yeah, I have gotten some done. I was feeling pretty good, actually, about the progress toward goals in drafting this new novel. And then it, of course, as soon as I start congratulating myself, it goes off the rails. (laughs) So today, I mean, actually for the last few days, I have not been blogging many words, but I have finally today, I printed out what I've done thus far. And I am going through and just noting where I have scenes that I think are moving the story forward. And again, I'm using... What helps me a lot, that kind of traditional screenplay structure of telling a story and looking at whether I have the kinds of scenes um, that will provide the drama and turning point moments. Also, I'm just learning more about my characters and I'm just trying to give myself some space and not get too worked up about how the story is changing as I try to plug some words in on it, but my character has changed some. I hope for the better. I realize I had a kind of a flat and caricatured image in my mind of her at the beginning, and I hope she's becoming a little bit more well-rounded and complex. And the same with uh, some of the secondary characters that I had had kind of what I thought was, you know, a good dramatic sense for but they have other things going on that I think will ultimately make them more interesting and the story hopefully more compelling, but I don't know. So That
1: just sounds like, um, you know, a second, third draft sort of thing that you do. I think that sometimes you need to get through the draft, and as you get through the draft, you get to know them better, and then it's time to go fix them for the beginning or make some decisions about things. Like maybe you've been waffling about something. Yeah. And then you say, okay, well, I'm actually going to make a decision about this. Um, I had heard, uh, it was on, I think it was actually on Twitter that um Kelly Garrett, who was one of our guests over the summer, she had a really interesting suggestion for a rewrite. And that, and this is a mystery, but she said for her three acts, she, in her rewrite, she says, she identifies what the question is. Yeah. For each act. Oh. And then when that is resolved, and then if that question is resolved, or if if benefit would be if that question is answered and it becomes something else or a twist.
0: Interesting. So, I like that. I'm gonna I'll be thinking about that as I I thought it was a nice about.
1: way to sort of bring yourself maybe um because I always say that I think with rewriting the best thing you can do is find a way to see it as more of um an outside editor observer yeah like how can you how can you separate yourself from the like in this middle of this stuff oh I love every word it was amazing I wrote this amazing you know what I mean and how can you separate yourself from that and see it critically yeah in order to massage it to make it better
0: yeah yep for me one of the things I'm doing right now since this is the first draft is I'm trying to write through. That is not edit so much right now. But write but I but what I hope I'm writing is quality, <laughs> I don't know. And but write through. So as like the characters have changed rather than going back to the beginning and in introducing those changes and changing the existing text to reflect those. I'm just trying to write forward with those in mind, trusting that I will be able to go back later and make the changes I need to. But it so started
1: doing like a first draft but based off of a lot of the stuff you were already working
0: on. Based off of a kind of an outline. Yeah, and a little bit of backstory. I don't do. I know some people swear by like doing these sort of background narratives about each character. You know, what's their favorite color? What would they you know eat if they could eat anything in the world? You know, I I don't do that, um, but I do try to get some sense of what each of my characters is and what each of them wants. Um, Maybe what they're afraid of, and then. And then just start the story the way that I may have identified by very bare plot points. You know, those so-called tentpole moments in a screenplay. So you have, you know, the very first few pages are sort of setting up the world and it's this normal world for your character. And then... And then there's this inciting incident where their world gets rocked by something that happened, and they have to adjust to that. And then they dither around for a while until they have to take the next big step, in, which is really kind of the big first step in their journey, which is their plot point one. So I've been trying to follow that, and then with a kind of midpoint, turning point, uh, plot point two, where everything sort of changes again, and there's no going back, and then some moment after that where everything seems lost, and the character has thrown in herself or himself entirely into whatever it is, but it is really all going badly, <laughs> and then the final climactic moment of redemption we hope um, so i'm I'm using that very crude well very bare bones but sort of traditional storytelling structure
1: well you know that i'm a huge i'm a huge fan of doing a little bit of mapping but also doing what you're doing which is going full speed ahead on your first draft and trying not to overthink it because i i think that there's two um there's two really separate um sort of head you need to be in as a writer. When you're first drafting, you need to be really open in order to be creative. Yeah. So if you sat down to write your first draft and you were like, oh, is she a red or is she blonde? Oh, uh, or you just were like, to me the same thing is true with um, all the research. If you spend all your time going, what's her favorite movie? You're not writing. Yes. And so maybe it'll occur to you later what it is and maybe it'll be relevant maybe it won't be but that if you could just keep going with it then you have something to edit yeah
0: that's what I am trying to go for and it's comforting to me to hear you say that and it's and it's invigorating it makes me feel like okay I can get back into this and
1: I mean, yeah, I feel like the the funniest thing is like when you talk to a writer who's it's like their first book, and you say, "Oh, you need to edit it," and their face falls. I realize, oh, <laughs> they're not actually in this for the long haul. They thought the act was that creative openness thing. It's kind of like open mic night or whatever, right? You're, yeah. You're, you're, or I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna make a, up a song right here. It's improv, right? Yeah. Here it
0: is. Yep. That is and not the final great. product.
1: <laughs> right, that's not the final product. That's not the play. Yep. You know, you did scene one, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Now you have to figure out who those characters are and what's the, what's the arc of the thing. But I also feel like, you know, I, I look back and I go, God, why does it take a year to write a book? You know, oh, if you and
0: only time, a year?
1: <laughs> or more. But, you know, if you think about the time you spend. Yes. You're like, that should only be three months, <laughs> really, right how much actually doing it but the time you think about it yeah and the time it takes me to go from kind of an okay very shallow idea to a much deeper really interesting idea
0: yeah which
1: is where my book ends up takes a while yeah I don't I don't come up with a really interesting deep idea first I have the like shallowy, yes. surfacey things. Yes. And then you get to know those characters and then their desires and who they are deepen the pot and make it much richer. And then you start seeing it much more. And then you're able to go, oh, this part should be here and this is where it should go. And now I have to throw this wrench in it. Yeah. And that's what, you know, it's like cooking, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and you your see. first,
1: you know, the first five minutes, you're not, you don't have that wonderful stew. You just have a bunch of ingredients in there.
0: <laughs> Yes. Take,
1: you know, it has to take a little time to make it really delicious. And maybe you could add something else. But if you added it at the beginning, maybe it wouldn't turn out as well. You know,
0: it might be too yeah. much. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I am excited to um, talk to Robin Farmer, our guest tonight about how she tackles some of these things. Um, I met Robin years ago in Richmond when she was working the religion beat for the Richmond Times-Dispatch newspaper. And she would interview me um, because I was then a religion professor at VCU. And we got to be friends. We got to know one another through that. And as I've gotten to know her better over the years, I have come to recognize all the different ways that she writes. Um, So she has done a lot of screenwriting as well, and she just is releasing her debut novel for young readers called Malcolm and Me. And uh, so we're really excited to have Robin Farmer with us uh, now to visit on our show and um, we'll see what she has to say about some of these things. What oh, do you I think? bet
1: she's got lots to say about this. All the different ways that she's writing, I bet that really, really valuable.
0: Yeah, great. Well, um, let's uh, call her up. Robin, it's great to have you with us.
1: So happy to be here. Well, great we... to meet you, great. even just on Zoom. And you're in Richmond. I'm in a suburb of Richmond, yes. We are both in Charlottesville, and we used to get together and get around one microphone together and call someone up on Skype, but we are all doing everything differently.
0: These are the yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. We Remember those days we'd get so close to the microphone? And I think yeah. one time, didn't we have another person? To, we had all three of us really close to the microphone. I wonder if we'll ever do anything like that again.
1: I don't know, but I saw... I, this is totally off track, but I saw this Airbnb ad, and it was like get your families together for the holiday in a rental. And they, no one was wearing a mask, and there was all these generations. They were all for each other, oh, and I no. was like, "This commercial is disturbing me." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh my gosh! And Robin, it
1: was not giving me warm holiday feeling. Anyway. Yeah. Rush to go back to the good old days, and the good
2: old days were like back in February. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> right.
0: It
1: was 3,000 years ago.
0: Well, Robin, we're so excited to talk with you about writing. We did talk to our audience a little bit about you and writing
1: beforehand. So I want to hear um, from Robin her story. How? When did you know you were a writer? And what all kinds of writing have you done that have prepared you for this moment to launch your baby?
2: So my mom taught me how to read and write when I was four years old, right? And I loved reading because I got to travel without leaving my house. And somehow I knew I wanted to have something to do with writing, but I was a little bit confused. And so when I was in second grade, which means I was seven, I remember we learned how to write cursive, which was a big deal because you were learning how to write like the big kids, right? Like and my first word was ice, and so I had ice written all over in my pencil penmanship. And I ran home and I said, "Mommy, mommy, I'm a writer." Oh, not quite sure what that meant, but by the age of eight, I knew what writing meant because I used to read the Philadelphia Daily News, and they had a columnist of color, Chuck Stone. And I knew he was of color because I saw his picture, right? But what really turned me on to him was his magical way of using what I would call 50 cent, uh, or rather, $5 words, right? He had a weekly mag uh, mailbag, and it was called, And the Angels Sing. And his critics would call him all kinds of names, and just they were just horrible. And he would respond in the most amazing way with these words I had to look up dictionary. He was also a reporter. So that's what really turned me on into journalism, like maybe I could do this. And I saw his picture, so I knew I could do that, right? So by the age of eight, I knew I wanted to be a reporter. Okay, fine. In high school, I was part of a program that exposed uh, students to um, the world of broadcasts. Television production, but it focused on management. It focused on behind the scenes. And I thought, yeah, I think I want to be a director, right? So I sort of veered off course, but I got back on course when I went to college because I said, okay, I I really want to do this journalism thing. But I was also interested in screenplays and direction and screenwriting. So when I went to Marquette, I majored in news editorial, but my minor was. Film, I think it was film writing or something like that. Fast forward to the time it's ready for graduation, and I, you know, I don't have any connections in Hollywood. I don't have family there. I knew I could probably do the journalism thing, so I kind of gave up on the screenwriting and the film thing. It was always in the back of my mind, but I kind of pushed it down. So um, when I came out of school, I started as a volunteer. I believe I was one of 10,000 volunteers for W. Wilson Good, who was running for mayor. I had always been interested in, in politics. And so one day, <laughs> he um, asked if someone could write a news, a news release, which I could do. And he hired me on the spot, right, to work as his press aide. So that's how I got my toe in PR, public relations. So see, you see all the different kind of writings that I'm doing? So I stayed there for two and a half years. But it's funny because every time I would set up the news conferences and all the media would come and all the media would sit on one side of the uh, mayor's office and then the staff would be on the other side. And I longed to sit over there with those reporters. Right. I wanted to be those people. So, um, after two and a half years, I applied to this program. It's no longer around, but it was very prestigious. It was called the Summer Program for Minority Journalists, and it was out at Berkeley. And they brought the best of the best in the business to come and teach us. And we lived in Berkeley for, I think we were there for 14 weeks. Wow. And we put out a weekly newspaper called Deadline. And... I mean, we were real reporters, right? And from there, you were pretty much guaranteed a job, right? Wow. And so I, I flew down to the National Association of Black Journalists conference in Dallas and interviewed the managing editor for the Hartford Current. And he said, okay, come in, you know, we'll give you a, a, a trial story. Well, my story happened to be the escalating cost of political campaigns. That was just, again, I got hired on the spot, right? So that's how my journalism career really kicked in. Um, And then um, the managing editor heard about me, asked me to come to Richmond to interview. And I came to Richmond. I I remember looking around thinking, oh, man, it's Sleepy Town. I could probably do what I want, right? (laughs) Okay, I'll come, and I'm thinking to myself, I'll stay one year, maybe two, and then I'll, you know, hopefully get with the Philadelphia Inquirer. But life is what happens when you have other plans, because I met my husband, (laughs) and I'm still here, and that's fine. If I had to come to Philadelphia to meet my husband, that's good. So, that's how I got into journalism, but all the time that I was in journalism, I was thinking about that screenwriting. So in 2001, I was accepted for a fellowship at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, right? And it's a wonderful opportunity because you actually have to sign a contract saying, I will not work this year, right? (laughs) And you get a stipend, and they open up the university to you, and you can study whatever you want. Wow. I study genetics and screenwriting. (laughs) Wow studied screenwriting with produce, uh, they were professors, but they also had produced movies and written movies. So it was there, you know, I went when I was 39 years old. And so before you turn 40, you think about all those big cosmic questions. Who am I? Who do I want to be? What am I doing with my life, right? And it was also during that time I started thinking about this incident with Sister and how it kind of shaped my life. And so it wasn't long after that that I wrote the screenplay. It was a screenplay I actually got to the agent of. I don't know if you know who Kiki Palmer is, but um, she starred in the movie Aquila and the Bee, which is a wonderful, wonderful movie. And... I thought, there's Roberta. And so I sent a cold email to her agent. And in the subject line, I put Kiki's next movie, question mark. And I sent it at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I sent it at 2 o'clock in the morning so it would be on the top of the email chain when she came in. Well, to my amazement, 20 minutes later, I get an email from her. Have your agent send it. Um, I don't have an agent. Have your lawyer send it. I don't have a lawyer. So they made me sign my life away so that they could read, read the script. And in the meantime, she's peppering me with questions. Do you have a director attached? Do you have financing? I'm like Lady. I'm just a writer, right? <laughs> It took 6 months for them to say it wasn't right for Kiki and I learned a lesson. Always have something else to pitch. I didn't have anything else, right? So I kind of blew that. But anyway, so when that happened, I said, "Well, you know what? I'll just adapt my screenplay into a novel." That was way back in 2007 because I put the pro in procrastination. <laughs> back on track in 2010 and that's because I read this book by Heidi Doro called the girl who fell from the sky that book so electrified me; it was like it was unlike anything I had read before but more importantly it was so emotionally true mm. and I literally took my manuscript and dumped it in the trash, because I said, I have got to do better. I knew I couldn't write like Heidi, right, If she was here, but I could get close, maybe. So I went on Facebook, which was relatively new at that time, and I found her, and I sent her a note. And I said, hey, Heidi, I just read your book, and I want you to know that you've inspired me to dig deeper on my own work. And I hit send. And to my amazement, she friended me, right? Which I thought it was like Stevie Wonder or Michael
0: Jackson.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? This, this author friended me. And so because we were friends, I saw where she was going to teach a five-day workshop called How to Write Your Debut Novel Without an MFA, which I don't have.
0: Wait without a thought, oh, without a what? So we got cut up.
2: Without an MFA. Okay. Yeah.
0: And
2: I thought I got to go right, and so she was. Ex- with writers, and she's the one who taught me how to read, how to read my work, among many other things. But what happened, and this was taking place at Jirasi, the Jirasi Residence Artist Program in California. It's about 45 minutes south of San Francisco, up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Mm. It's a cinematic landscape. It's so beautiful, 600 acres. We had our own private writing studios. I mean, it was just a chef it was amazing but anyway what really changed everything for me the executive director came in to bring greetings and at one point she said you only get here by invitation and we only invite artists and I thought (gasps) I'm an artist I had never ever thought of myself that way I thought Yeah, I can write kind of good. You know what I mean? I just never thought of myself as an artist. And when I did, it changed everything. So they told us that every year they select one person from the various workshops that they do to come for a month-long residency. And they're very competitive, right? But I said, I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply. No, Heidi said she would write me a letter of recommendation. I'm going for it. Okay, fine. So I got this mindset that I'm an artist now, right? And I'm real serious. Well, several months later, um, we had a house fire. And we lost every book we owned. We only had the clothes on our back. And I was sitting in the ambulance. I wasn't hurt, but I was. I wanted to get away from everyone. And I'm sitting in the ambulance, and I'm watching my house burn. And, and I know this sounds really bizarre, but at some point I said to myself, at least I'm alive to finish my book. Oh. And so that fire lit another type of fire, right? And I got real, real serious. I mean, I already had the mindset, but now I had the the, the the newfound discipline, I guess, because you know I put the pro in procrastination. So, December of that year, that was 2015, I wrote a email to Heidi, and I said, you know, I really hope next year is so much better than this year, because I, I didn't tell you this, but. When I flew out to California for my residency, two days before, someone hit the back of my car and told it. <laughs> so when I arrived, I was on muscle relaxers, right? So Heidi saw all this happening, the, the total, of the car, the house. So I said, I hope next year's better. And then a couple months later, I found out I had that residency. Oh.
1: And
2: I know Heidi had something to do with that, I think. I I, I really do. So anyway, so I go back. We go around the room, and we're introducing ourselves. And the executive director, Margo, I love her. She's like, "Um, you know, what are your goals? And I said, you know, I'm so happy to be here. I'm going to write 35,000 words in 30 days. She said, okay. But the whole purpose of you being here is to just be and I thought oh okay I can just be I can chill but I still wrote 22,000 words nice (laughs) so I came back from that that was in 2016 and I wrote and I wrote and because I got so much out of that residency and learning from other fellows, and they were so talented, right? And just being around folks like that just really inspired me, again, to dig deeper. So I knew the value of a residency, so I said, well, let me apply for another one. And I applied for the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. So I got that. So that was 2017. And I, you know, I wrote, I wrote, I met so many people that, Inspired me, but but let me stop this. I gotta say this. I have to say this. You know, when you go to these residencies and you're like me, you don't have a book or anything. There's this um, fear, and it's sort of that imposter syndrome. And every time I was around these folks, I was thinking, "Oh Jesus, they made a mistake. What am I doing here?" Right? But but. Every time it was my turn to read my work, I knew I belonged there go based on the action, right? But I have to say that because that's real. Mm-hmm. That's real. When you go and there are folks there with Emmys and all kinds of awards and you're sitting there like, you're just a promise, right? You know, no, yeah, you, no you're just a potential. They're, they've already delivered, right? So anyway, um, I leave there in 2018. And I have beta readers. And then I hired an editor, because I love my beta readers. But I also can't help but think that they might be swayed by the fact that they like me. And they might not really tell me the truth. So I said, let me hire someone who doesn't know me, and may not even like me, right? who's a professional. So I hired this editor. And turns out she liked it too. So I said, well, wait, let me try one more time. And so I hired a second editor who wasn't so crazy about it. So I knew the truth was in between, right? So then I um, I was sending it out to agents who were giving me beautiful rejection letters. I was participating in the Twitter mad awards or whatever I was doing all this stuff and I, I wasn't getting anywhere so last year I saw that she writes press and spark press were offering a contest and I had several friends who are authors with those presses and they they like them they won awards and stuff so I said well let me enter and so I entered this contest and I remember clear as day thinking you know, Robin, before you send this, you need to go and check page eight. And I said, you know, I'm not going to win anyway. Send, <laughs> and then I won. <laughs> so that's a very long-winded way of explaining all the different types of writing I do and how I came to
1: this place. I love um, I love hearing about your Existence, but also your um, your desire to keep becoming a student. I think that's so inspiring. I think that, that the I think one of the worst things you can do as probably a human is to decide that you know everything and that you don't want to learn anymore because I think there's so much to I love that you study genetics too. I mean I think that's so I hope that's gonna be in a book someday. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's Greenplay! Perfect, perfect. I also um, went, um, I've taught writing quite a bit at UVA and some other places, and um, as soon as someone walks in, and they're, and they're like, oh, I haven't written fiction before, but I've spent 20 years as a journalist, I'm like, because what you bring is you know how to write sentences, you know how to deliver, and quite frankly, you're pretty open to the idea that writer's block is just really procrastination. Exactly. It's maybe being afraid.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Afraid to go there yet? And And, so you talk yourself out of it.
2: And it's also not you haven't developed the tools to keep it at bay. You know, I tell people I would sit down to write and big headed procrastination would come up with his sister fear and their cousins self-loathing, yeah. and they'd be like, Robin, let's party. And I'd be like, okay. And sometimes the party lasted for weeks, and sometimes it lasted for years. And then I had to get to the point where I would say, shut up. Go sit in a corner. I've got work to do. Because they never go away. They never go away. You just have to figure out a way to
1: manage it. It took me a long time. I don't know, but also do you feel, well, I know you write for your day job, which I do as well, and that can be exhausting so that you can sort of feel like you exercise that muscle all day and then you go to your computer and you're like, you know what, actually I want to garden because I really can't be in front of this computer anymore. So I know that's an issue, but I think the other issue to me too is that I sometimes realize if I've delayed a lot that I'm not very happy and that writing makes me happy. And so I'm preventing myself from doing something that makes me feel at the end of the day, oh, I've accomplished something.
2: I like that. I like that a lot because um, I am in a period right now where I am super busy. I, I work. I'm trying to promote this book, right? But I also know I need to discipline myself and get into the habit of writing every day because I don't. So, this is NaNoWriMo month, right? And I promised myself that I was going to write every day because I have an idea for book two and I can't take 20 years to figure out if that's the next book, right? But here's the thing here's this is and this dovetails with what you just said. Yeah, I'm tired, I'm staring at the computer all day, I don't want to do it. But because I made that commitment, somehow. Every night, I join about eight women on a Zoom call to sprint from 8 to 10. And I said, Robin, you are proving to yourself that life doesn't have to interfere. If this is a priority, you will find a way to do it. Because I'm telling you, I am so busy right now. But every night I'm there, and Al will be there again tonight. So if I can do that for the month of November, why can't I keep
1: doing that? Right. Well, you have to also remember, just like your, um, I loved that your residency said. Some of it is about being and being present. Because I feel like the thing too is if all you do is sit at the computer and write, 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 all the, you miss out on experience. And that's what you. That's what like fuels your next book. So You have to make sure that you do all that stuff. And so I was telling Kristen, I was feeling kind of guilty, but it's a very distracting right now with the election and yeah. everything. Yeah. So I love that you're writing for two hours. I'm jealous as all get out, but yes, you're right. It's, I have to make that commitment myself, but I've been doing a lot of like walking and thinking and listening to podcasts. And so I think that sometimes the well's dry and you need to fill it up.
2: Yet you're replenishing your creative well by doing that. Because for me, writing also helps me. I mean, walking helps me write. Yeah.
1: I think of wonderful, I know people think of wonderful ideas in the shower. I don't know if you guys are the shower idea people, but I think walking has always been, I used to write poetry when I walked in the city. In my head. Because there was something about that rhythm. You know, that you would walk and you would,
0: yeah, for me, walking is much more generative of ideas than sitting. And even in the shower, I tend to be a, in the shower, out of the shower. I am all business. Get the dirt off onto the next thing. <laughs> so my husband's the opposite. But I want to remind our listeners that we we're talking to Robin Farmer, whose debut novel, Malcolm and Me, is is out on Tuesday. Well, out within days. So
1: Days. we don't know um,
0: yeah probably by know. the time this this runs actually so right. super it, super exciting and speaking mm-hmm. of the novel so Robin you mentioned in telling us um, how you got to this point in your writerly journey which oh my gosh is so fun and inspiring to listen to. Um, you tell us about that you mentioned a couple of characters from your novel uh, sister. Who is sort of the antagonist, if you will, and Roberta, who is your protagonist, the um, the character that we follow and sympathize with? I've had an opportunity to read the novel, and oh my gosh, it's beautiful, fun, Robin, could, you, funny could you
1: tell us your pitch for it? I mean, I think I, I read the description as well, but just t- I want to hear from you. Like, what 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 is what is your book? Who are the characters in it?
0: Yes.
2: So whenever I'm asked what is it about, I always say it's about a young teen and her search for that elusive thing called truth at a time when the most important adults in her life have trouble telling it. And I said it during the school year of 1973-74 or when even the president's lying, Nixon, Watergate. It's about adult hypocrisy which, like corn syrup, is in everything, right? <laughs> and that's why I can touch so many different topics in the book. So Roberta Roberta is a young girl who looks like she's a rebel upstart with her outsized afro. But she's really just as sensitive as she can be. She writes poetry. She's very thoughtful. And she likes to get into um, good trouble. And because she's a young teenager, she's also um, an emotional mess. And I'm here for it, right? Because that's how teens are. So the connection between Roberta and myself, um, the opening chapter, Roberta's sister wants to know why Thomas Jefferson signed a Declaration of Independence. And at the time, he owned slaves. And Roberta said, I know. And sister says, Roberta, and she says, because he was a hypocrite. Apparently, that was a wrong answer, right? Yeah. And so sister um, insults her, and they actually get into a fight, which is really interesting because you're meeting this kid, right, who fights a nun. Could you imagine anyone that you could dislike more? And so it was my job to really have you root for this kid as it goes along. Um, the reason why I started it off this way is because that actually happened to me only in real life I was 11 when all that happened, so um, There's that But you know when people ask me Robin, what is the book about? I think they want me to just sum it up in one sentence But most books aren't about just one thing, right? They're about other things And So this is a book that yes The overarching theme is adult hypocrisy, but it's also about racism and religion wrangling and dysfunctional families and social justice activism on the part of young people. Um, It's about a lot of different topics. And I did that deliberately because I think young people are smarter than what most folks give them credit for. I think they think about a lot of different things. Especially when they're a new teen. Because I I remember I couldn't wait to turn 13, right? And it's an interesting age because you got... You still have one foot in kiddie land. And the other one trying to be more independent, right? It's a fascinating time frame. And everything I write deals with that age. Um, This novel, scripts, poems, short stories.
0: Now when you... When you write, Robin, when you're generating that first draft, do you spend some time outlining? So you've had this background in screenwriting. We were talking a little bit about this in our introduction. Meredith has a lot of experience in screenwriting too. And um, so I wonder, or are you a pants? You know, are you a pantser or a plotter, as they say? Do you write by the seat of your pants, or do you? it? I, I am a pantser, and I
2: think that's. Part of the reason why it was so hard for me to wrap it up, because I wasn't... I'm, I'm not real good with structure. Um, there's a famous... I think he's a novelist who said art is fire and algebra. Oh. And the fire, the fire I get, that's the passion. The algebra is the structure. And I was never good with math.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so funny, because... Um, um, I was not good at geometry, but I really loved algebra. Really? <laughs> so clearly, I was meant
2: to be an outliner. <laughs> in, in algebra, I wrote my best poetry. Oh. I'm not joking. Sister would call me up to the blackboard. I literally would go to the blackboard, look at her, and say, what do you want me to do? Because <laughs> I didn't
0: know it. <laughs> but you'd be back at your desk writing poetry?
1: you find out, these are actually really interesting things. Why Stop. didn't I know that this was interesting?
2: <laughs> this is fascinating. I am a secret science geek.
1: Well, and then we and we have this new exciting book. I know, it's so funny. By the time your book comes out, um, it's so long since you wrote it. It almost feels like it's somebody else's book. I mean, I don't know. I have that issue. I'm not very much like, I finish it, and finish it. I want to go to the next thing. And the funniest thing, too, is you're going to have this, um, I'm sure you're going to do lots and lots of Zoom events where you read from it, and then you start editing it again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Robin, speaking of events, you have a couple coming up.
2: I do. Um, I don't know when this is going to air, so they can catch the replay. But I will do a Instagram Live with Ward, the owner of Chop Suey, Monday night. And we will talk about the book. And then on Tuesday, I will sit at a table on the sidewalk and sign, uh, sign books for a couple of hours. Wonderful.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully we can get this up before then. So the Monday we're talking about is Monday, November sixteen. Sixteen. okay. And Tuesday, when you're actually going to do a kind of in-person outside, is the 17th of November. Excellent. Right. All right. Well, we'll try to get this up before, and hopefully folks um, who here can can get in on them. Yeah. Yeah. So you are also married to a writer. How is that?
2: Ladies, <laughs> I'm the best editor around. Oh. The only other way I can do it, really, I don't know how you edit your stuff, but what I do, um, I let the computer read my work back to me, because that way you can catch typos, and and you may hear something that you really didn't mean to say, right? Uh, because when you read your own stuff, you sometimes put in words that you want to be there, and they're not there. So I do have the computer read back, and also the computer reads about inflection, and sometimes it's good to hear to hear it just flat, right? You can hear it better. So yeah, I'm, I'm blessed that my husband reads every... Word I write.
0: Wow. That is wonderful. So, Robin, were there things in writing Malcolm and me that you were, well, you can, that you came to include because you knew they were crucial to the story, but that made you uncomfortable in the writing or nervous about airing?
2: Um, without giving away too much, I tackle the thorny issue of. Colorism, which is huge, right? Yeah. Black, light skin versus dark skin issue. That's a direct um, a result of slavery,
1: right? Yep. The
2: lighter you are, the better you are, the closer you are to white. So I, I do address that. And I was a little bit nervous because I thought, oh, boy, the woke people were going to come after me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the woke the, police.
2: The woke police, but it's my book.
1: I'm going to say what I want to say. Yeah, I, I just love it. I think it's so it. important that your characters be really true to who they are and that you, I think if it comes, I mean, I think it's such a different experience, and maybe that's coming from journalism where you go, oh, I'm going to say this thing and people aren't going to like it. But if it's the character, that characters having that experience, it's a little harder to say, oh, that's not an authentic experience for a fictional character to have.
2: Well, <laughs> what actually put doubt in me was the second editor who I told you I hired who wasn't so crazy about it. Um, she just, if it was up to her, this book would not be in existence. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to seriously say, wait a minute, maybe there's something else going on here. Yeah. There usually is.
0: There usually is. I still remember hearing at an annual conference in Richmond, annual writing conference in Richmond, the opening event is reading the first pages of manuscripts that were submitted anonymously. And I was in the audience listening to these, and that the panel of editors and agents then respond to these. And I've been to a few of those conferences now, and so I've heard actually probably hundreds of first pages read. And I and one of those first pages was, was yours, Robin, um, from what, became, what had become, has become Malcolm and Me, and I still remember it. I was blown away. The voice is so engaging. It's so real. It's so true. And the drama, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I could, I could put myself there, though my experience and yours is, it's very different. And here's this girl in Catholic school, a black girl in Catholic school, who faces this kind of tyrannous sister. And Oh my gosh, you had me from the first sentence, and so I still remember that it was years ago. And so Did you I know just they am were Robin's well, pages, one more time.
1: Did you know they were Robin's?
0: No, pages? no, no, I didn't know her book then at all. I think you and I had become acquainted, maybe Robin, but I didn't know about this book of hers. Yeah, yeah, well,
2: I'm so glad to hear you say that you can empathize with her because that's. That's what I wanted. You know, I think that fiction can train us in the art of being human, right? Yes. And God, we need more empathy these days, right? Just take a look around. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad to see that someone whose life is very different connects with this kid. And that's what I'm hoping, that folks who are very, very different from Roberta see that they're, they're more alike
1: than they, than they realize. Yeah. Well. well I thought something you said about learning to read really resonated with me and you said you you traveled through reading. And to me that was really always fascinating. If I just read books about someone who was my age, who looked like me, who had the same experience as me, that's really boring. <laughs> um, but there's something so interesting to spend that those hours in someone else's life. Yeah. And to cry over what happens to them and to fear for them and all that stuff. That's the empathy I think you're talking about. And at the end, you realize, oh, I've just spent all this time with a little girl in Afghanistan. And so maybe now I'm going to say, I don't think it's such a great idea that we go bomb that country.
2: Absolutely. Bottom line, right? The bottom line, that's that's why I think most of us do it. It's
1: yeah. definitely why I do. And I think that that's so beautiful. And I, and I really do say, I, 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 I hearing your story of how hard it was for you to get to where you are too, with all the experience you have and all the writing chops you have, is so important for people to hear because I think on, if you're just on Twitter and you hear from these agents, they're all saying, own voices, own voices. We want all these new voices. We want all these new stories. And I wonder how many of those stories are getting through.
2: bit more now since black lives matter in publishing.
1: Yes. <laughs> they're all woke over there. They're all woke. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll no, see how all saying, fast, but anyway. I mean, I'm not and I'm not saying this to criticize anybody personally. i saying because I love that they're putting out the call, right. I love that they're doing that, right. but I think the thing that everyone comes back to is it's a business. Right. Right. And then it used to be that they'd be like, well, we did one black movie and we can't do another one or whatever. I mean, it would be such a weird situation because, and I remember that too about like, um, you know, and that, I started out as a screenwriter and I got incredibly frustrated because I felt like women's stories weren't very valued. And there'd be one story, you get something, okay, I'm just going to grab some very random movie, but like, okay, Bridesmaids. All right, that probably wasn't very expensive to make and it made them a ton of money, right? It was funny. Yes. And it was funny and then and there was maybe a couple that were like kind of copycats of it and then it kinda vanishes and then there's nothing and it's just male action movie, male spy movie, male,
2: and you're thinking. They forget. they forget, right? How well
1: that did. Yes how, how they and made money. Yes. yes. So so they just sort of abandon it. It's kinda like, you know what? It's not rocket science. People like to hear stories of people that are entertaining stories that are not necessarily exactly like them, or maybe that are a little like them, because that's kind of interesting, too. You get to see some representation, you know? I mean, I'm like, so now, I mean, losing Chadwick Boswell was, like, devastating, because I'm like, gee, he played everybody. Yeah. Do we have another actor waiting in the wing? He was, in every movie, he was the lead. And, um, you know, if we, (laughs) it's just like, we need to bring more actors and we need to bring more directors and we need more writers so that we have more representation.
2: Well, I have to tell you, I'm so happy the book's coming out now since Black Lives Matter because there was a time you couldn't get a girl on the cover with a big afro. Oh, Oh, and the cover
1: is
0: fantastic.
1: I saw your picture. I loved your. I loved it. It's a great cover. I feel. I feel so hopeful. I think that your timing is great, and I hope that you get school visits. Even though I understand doing school visits as a YA author. Remember, we were hearing from Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Erskine. She said she was visiting this fifth-grade class, and the kids are all changing the background on their Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> and she finally said, um, kids, could, could you stop? <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just <laughs> so um so I understand it's a little bit of a challenge, but I think my goodness, you could travel anywhere. You could be in anybody's visit. I mean I would think this is a great opportunity.
2: I've already started getting requests
1: and the book's not even out.
0: <laughs> that is so great.
1: And you know, uh, my I have a friend, Chris Grabenstein, who went from thrillers to kids books, and he used to get paid money to go to all those schools. They had they had budget to bring in authors, and it's really inspiring for kids. Meet a real author, and, you know, read the book, and everything. So
2: I don't think they have those budgets anymore because they had to buy PPE.
0: Oh man, you know, yeah.
1: I'm just thinking about your next book. The strategies, once this one's a bestseller, and, <laughs> <laughs> and in, in all, the pipeline
0: for movie producing.
1: They're going to throw money at you and <laughs> get you to come, I'm sure.
0: Well, and speaking of that next book, I'm looking at the clock, and Robin, I want to honor your 8 to 10 um, yeah. time, which is only six minutes away from now. So, to give you a chance to have a glass of water, maybe go to the bathroom before you sit down at the desk and crank out those... I mean,
1: we could literally talk to you all night. It I know, so right? lovely. I hope I get to meet you in person. i come with this book to Charlottesville, well, to the Festival of the Book. Well, I applied. I don't know if they're going to accept me, but I applied. And I don't know what that's going to look like. It might be the Festival of the Book is our living room. It's all for, It'll probably be virtual. It probably will. They're, that's what they've sort of switched to. I've done a couple of their shelf life, and I've got another one coming up in December. And it is a lot of fun, because you can't just be in your living room and stuff, and they're trying to get stuff every week. And they're, they're doing a really wonderful job, but I don't know what the... The, the, the festival is so much fun. I
2: know. I've,
1: I've gone before, and I hope, I hope I'm hope still like this. Oh, I hope so, too. i I'm sh- I'm sure you will. Well, thank you so much and good yes. luck with your launch.
0: Yes, everything. thank you, Robin. Thank you, thank you.
1: Um,
2: you're welcome. I I just realized that you guys asked me one question in the beginning and I talked for 20 minutes.
0: Oh, we loved we love hearing the journey. And oh my gosh, it had lots of points along the way. I mean, it's just it was fantastic. It had twists and
1: turns. It was like a really it was like a wonderful screenplay. I'm was. watching the movie of your writing life. Yes. <laughs> there, were twists, there were cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> sweet. Oh, thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Good luck. Write lots of words for your next book. Well, thank you. Thank Bye. you,
0: Robin. Well, that was so much fun having Robin Farmer on. And I'm really excited about Malcolm and Me, this debut novel of hers. Oh,
1: I it- I'm excited. I know that you got a chance to read it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, and I totally now can't wait because I think um, her voice and her story really come across. And I I was just thinking about how um, there's so many really, really talented writers that I know so much experience, but because perhaps that experience is not in that specific lane, like YA or, or, um, you know, novels they are so full of doubt and you know just hearing about their talent and all the work that they're putting into and all the experience they have it's sort of you just really want to say you know you've got this <laughs> but at the, at the same time it's a hard business and you know she talked about hearing all those no's and there are there are always a lot more no's than yeses and Challenge, it's a challenge to keep up the faith and to sort of say, no, the story is going to find a place.
0: And those no's, the people issuing them, agents, editors, are not, they'll, they'll be the first people to say, we don't know exactly. It's not an objective science.
1: And I've been listening to, um, you know, I was, t- I was telling you, Manuscript Academy. And what they do is they have agents come on and read through their query box. And they don't give you anything that's identifiable, but they sort of tell you their thinking. Yeah. And they say again and again, the most important thing is, what I'm trying to determine is if I'm the right agent for this project. Uh Uh-huh. So the no is not, no, you're a talentless hack. Right. It's don't really understand your story. It's not a genre that I sell, or I don't know where to sell it. Yeah. Not the right fit. So a no is actually a generous thing that an agent is telling you, which is no, don't waste any time with me because I'm not the right agent for you.
0: Yeah. But Meredith, I got to say, when I hear a no, (laughs) I want to believe, I want to believe just what you're saying. And they're and, and sometimes they'll write exactly that. I'm not the right person for this. I know. Best of luck placing so, it elsewhere. And I think, oh, it's just because it really sucks and they're just being nice. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course.
1: <laughs> and I think, and also in really experienced writers, it's not like they suddenly become full of confidence. Yeah. I mean, I've seen like really embarrassing things to watch where a writer gets a bad review or something. And lashes out at everyone and you think,
0: oh
1: oh my gosh, you're an award-winning New York Times best-selling author. <laughs> Who cares what this stranger thinks? <laughs> yeah. Why are you letting this bother you? Like, clearly there's things that strike a nerve and they can't stop themselves. And I just think, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's hard. Everyone, I know everyone has, has hang-ups and they get nervous. There's totally times when you're reading in your, your work and you think this is the worst thing. No one's ever going to want to read it. And there's times when you hopefully say, oh, I think, I think this is turning out really well. And I think this yeah. time that I'm fitting into in my work is going to make something that someone wants to read.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think the redemption is in the work. That is just getting on with doing some work. Um, You talked about how you felt better after writing some, um, even though it can be hard. And, yeah, spending your day at your computer writing for a day job and then coming to the computer to write on your creative project has got to be really hard. But that when you have done that, it feels really good. And, I yeah, I feel, for me, there's, there's so much self-doubt but if I can just start the work itself it's like it's neither doubt nor confidence anymore it's just the work right. that, and, I,
1: that to, and that is between you and the page it is not about someone else's
2: yeah you
1: know review of it or opinion of it um, it's about you meeting the, the page and and Robin was really inspiring me tonight I, I sort of said maybe the Supreme Court could delay NaNoWriMo because I think it's happening at a really hard time for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and in the past I've sort of used it not to write whatever they think you're gonna do 55,000 words but you know I've written like 30,000 words in a month and felt really really proud of myself you know like that's just I've really pulled out the stops and I've done a really great job but this month, I think I'm letting myself get distracted, and it's certainly not making me happy to do scroll, you know. Um,
0: it's hard to stop. Yeah,
1: but it is very hard to stop. <laughs> and, um, But I hopefully things will settle, and, you know, we can get back to focused work.
0: Yeah, um, but something you said earlier also is relevant in this, I think, and that is that um, it's also all life. So I have digested more news in the past month or so than probably in my entire life. I've just been gobbling it up and I have berated myself for the time I've spent doing that when I might be spending it differently in things that I had intended to spend that time on um to include some writing, but it has also felt I don't know, there's a it it, it I, I've also thought maybe some of this will yield fruit in a different way because down the road that maybe that is not all wasted. Some of it probably is, but just the immersion in this moment with all that's happening in our world may I not be all bad present. either.
1: Right Being present for the historical moment, I think is sometimes sometimes important, and i and I don't know how it's possible to just you know I mean I guess I guess that's what retreats are for. you know you retreat and you no longer have to think about, is my family hungry? Does my dog need to be let out? You just are focused, yeah yeah, and that's a great. It's a great luxury. I haven't ever done one. And it it's on my bucket list. And the pandemic is not a great time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now that would be an understatement.
1: <laughs> my timing sucks. Yeah. For,
0: for, the, for the writing retreat with other writers, I'm assuming. With you're other suggesting, writers yeah. and artists and strangers. Yeah. And yeah. Strangers. But, um,
1: but yeah, it's on my bucket list. I'd like to, I'd like to make that commitment to, to do it at some point. And, um, See what that's like, see if that's a, you know, if I can, you know, because I think that it's easy for me to say, well, you know, I can only write as much as I can because I'll I'll waste a ton of time. the question is, is that time that we need? Like, I think I do need to rest my brain. Yeah. Sort of easy to read stuff. It's not really challenging. It's not, you know, a New Yorker article about the Taliban. It's. (laughs) Yes. It's a mystery set in Venice. Nice. <laughs> <Okay>. nice. <laughs> to relax.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And uh, and I think that that's we have to give ourselves breaks.
0: Too. I think so too. And in that yeah. spirit, it was great to take this time away from all sorts of other stuff to talk about yeah. writing, hear Robin's journey, and a little bit about this wonderful Malcolm and me novel she's got out it's always good to see you merida
1: always good i hope you have a happy thanksgiving and happy thanksgiving to all our listeners for whatever form that will take this year in this odd pandemic landscape
0: yeah yeah be safe be healthy
1: right every day
0: yes good
1: (laughs) (laughs) see you next time
0: all right bye